Yo, welcome to another episode of Unapologetically Black on WOVU, Cleveland, 95.9. I am E. King, one half of Unapologetically Black. This week's episode, Just Ice and I put together a compilation of a few of our guests discussing the first time they became aware of their blackness and how it impacted their identity. First up is episode 11's guest, Stephanie Kelly Lewis, the therapist and probation manager for Cuyahoga County juvenile justice court stephanie told a powerful story about becoming aware of her blackness through one of her black friends so sit back relax and enjoy the ride um let's get into that first question that i know that you are ready to hear or ready to answer because i talked to you yesterday about it so how did you become aware of your blackness you know, I thought about this when you told me we would we would discuss it, and mm-hmm. I think I became most aware of my blackness in the third grade. Third grade? Is that so you like eight? I was nine. Nine. Is that old? Oh, I went to what Shaker. Do you mean old? That's I young. I I don't know. So yeah, I was nine, and okay. it was because my best friend had just transferred from Catholic schools mm-hmm. and lived in Cleveland, mm-hmm. and I was a peer mediator, and I wanted her to come play with my friends and play soccer, you know, to acclimate <laughs> her to the. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You done? Go ahead. Okay. Unapologetically black. I, I'm just saying. Okay. Go ahead. Um, and so. <laughs> He, um, I really wish I could see her. Just this he's not face. saying he's just looking. Okay. So, um, yeah, she was like, "Girl, why you want me to go play with them white girls?" Mm. And I was like, "What? Okay, what you mean? That's you know mm. my friends, and we play soccer at recess. I'm trying to get you hooked up with some friends." She was like, "You know, I know black friends," mm. and she really helped make me aware of just how black I was and what that meant and who I should hang with and Mm -hmm. different activities as as a kid Mm. to even do that mm, that mm, that that rubbed me the wrong way the reason why because Mm -hmm. it sounded as if you playing with white people was bad I don't think she meant it like that at eight years old I think it just meant what like unfamiliarity Eight years old, that's no filter. They exactly meant, that is exactly what the eight years <laughs> They yeah, have I no guess. filter. I guess. I didn't take it that way. I took it like, oh, I guess I didn't introduce her to any black people. Okay. And she went from school with mostly black mm-hmm. inner city mm-hmm. kids all her life. And right. then now we have this okay. huge diverse, you know, diversity and shaker. And, right. Right and about I, now it is. Can I ask a question, though? Oh, sure. Go ahead, man. Was when when she did that? Um, because I'm pretty sure that you thought about it and 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 everything. When she did that, did it did it confirm something that was in you, or did it teach you something that was not? I think it taught me something that was not. Because and, and I guess you know, because when I think about it, like all of like I was raised by my grandma. You know, they're all from the south. Most of my aunt and uncles are light skin, hazel eyes. You know, like. Mm the paper bag, blue mm-hmm. vein mm-hmm. situation. But my grandma, like, I was her first real, real chocolate baby. Like, I mean, my mom, but my mom was even lighter. And so she really just tried to promote that, you mm-hmm. know, and make me feel good. And I think there was some, you know, uh, negative things around it. But I think once I went to school and um, was around so many different people who just saw me for being good at, sports being smart you know Mm -hmm. being charismatic being caring i really defined myself by characteristics so what my friend offered to me was kind of like girl get you some black friends Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and like that matters 
if you have black friends and right. it matters to me so go find me some or <laughs> we'll be you'll be my black friend and now you got a black friend okay and my socialization in school changed after that so what do you mean by socialization you because that's who i hung, I hung out with her we're, we're okay. we've been best friends since okay do i know this person I don't know where. Okay. No, probably not. No, uh, no, I don't think it's who you think it is. Okay, that's what. That's no, no, what, no, 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 no. Okay, so you've already spoken <laughs> a little bit about it, but how do you think that overall at the age where you are? So you said you said nine, mm-hmm. right? And then you are a certain age right now. How do you think over time that shaped your identity? Well, shifted because my environment's shifted, right? Mm-hmm. So, and shaker as I got older, I felt really p- proud of my blackness because then I became a cheerleader like by the time I was a teenager and really getting into that identity development stage and mm-hmm. se- you know self-esteem and all the white girls wanted to move like the black girls you know <laughs> and you know shaker raiders and yeah, shaking man. it and it was like yeah. if you were shaker heights varsity cheerleader it like everybody wanted to be you even the white girls wow. so, so it shifted a little bit like oh now i got these white girls wanting blackness and then after that i went to an hbcu where yeah. black was it was layers of black right. and levels to blackness and eliteness and we're going to talk about that in the, in the third se- uh, segment where you're talking about that benefit so in other words yeah. being a cheerleader and all the cheerleaders that were white wanted to move like the black girls yeah was a benefit in being black and I was the captain. And you were the captain. Yeah. So you ran it all. What you got, Jess? I see you over there looking. Uh-oh. Nah, I'm going to wait till later. Oh, boy. <laughs> you got to add something, you know, man. Listen, what? you know, I support it. It's a beautiful story, though. You know, I, um, that's, I really appreciated, you know, the honesty in saying, you know, she provided something that she didn't have. You know, mm-hmm. um, I. the only other question I guess I would would really ask would be you know being around all those white people none of them made you feel black you know when you think about so much racism and all this stuff that goes on you know for me that's uh, i think proof positive that there was no racism that you were able to have a bunch of white friends and they you know you didn't know any different you didn't feel any different at nine years old i think that would be different though yeah, I think yeah. at that, because because then, I mean, the the last part of that story, it, mm-hmm. uh, like, we stopped at HBCU. I came home, and I went to John Carroll. Okay. Definitely knew I was black. Right. <laughs> okay, I came home and, right. and had a minimum wage job with, on a dean's list, mm-hmm. you know, summa cum laude, and all kind of awards and waitlisted for PhD programs at LSU, and I knew I was black when mm-hmm. I got back to Cleveland. Mm-hmm really blatantly so i would say yes in shaker i it was a utopia it was if you're smart if you're sitting in the front if you are uh in organizations you're a peer mediator the teachers love you you tutor and put it in context because shaker was uh seen as more of a progressive in race they were they review that and then also when you look at it your idea just growing up in new york of blackness once again we always talk about regional blackness was very different than growing up here in Ohio. I had a different experience, although we were in the same city and we we're all in the same age bracket. Growing up in Bedford, um, I you knew you was I, black. I knew I was black. Yeah, I knew. Well, I mean, and I think you know. I you know. I, to be honest with you, I think the difference that I hear is, and I think it would be more of a suburban thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I hear, you know. For me, is. You know, with the suburban kids, you know, there's typically European kids and that's who you hang out with. Sometimes they're not always, you know, 
you know, jackrabbits. You know, that's just the truth of the matter. Mm -hmm. um, and in that particular story, it sounded like that was the experience. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, we talk about and we point out, you know, for instance, the negative, if you will. And mm -hmm. for me, I felt like that was one of those experiences that was positive, mm -hmm. where she wasn't made to feel different. She wasn't made to feel mm -hmm. outside of the norm okay. to the point where she invited mm -hmm. her black friend and her black friend was the one to, you know, show her that it was something different, mm -hmm. that it was, you know, outside of the norm, you know? So the idea um, is being black, there's a stigma. You talking about she didn't have the stigma for the first nine years of her life. She didn't yeah, have to and live she with was that. An, 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 and I think for her, it was a, a, a part of being unapologetic. Yeah, come mm -hmm. hang out with my white friends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a, you know, I play soccer, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. um, to be honest with you, and I'll say this out loud, I don't know too many sisters that play soccer from um, from Ohio. Really? You know, and I'm just being, you know, I'm mm -hmm. just being honest. There's a, there's quite, there's quite a few. Mm -hmm. There's quite, there's quite a few. Yeah, I, I'm just saying I don't know. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, I get, yeah. I get that. You've been, you're, you're using the I statement. I got you. And you know, it shifted as we got to high school. You know, that shifted because at, at Shaker Heights High School, you'll you'll see that there's a black side of the school and a white side of the school mm -hmm. over time. As far That's as true. where the let out was, you <laughs> right. remember that, yeah, I Eric? Remember like that. the let out, yeah. and that was because on this side is where most of the minority families yeah. lived, yeah. and they had to catch the rapid, and that was right. more the borders. And then on the other side, you. You could just walk into the real suburban right. richer parts of shaker and that's also a part i think in high school where we realized it was different mm -hmm. but it would still be like i'm about to go on the white side they tripping right, right. like they fighting over here yeah. i'm going on the white side because we about to go to a bar mitzvah like i ain't got time for that this weekend and then whites being like i'm gonna go to the black side because you know chingy yeah. or whoever right, was out right, right. like what? <laughs> it was, i feel like chingy was in college that's <laughs> 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 No, no, no. But yeah, for real. You understand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Shaker, so to go with the <laughs> archetype of what a suburban life look or a suburb look like, Shaker was definitely it. Mm -hmm. Shaker was it. If anybody is like listening, no. Exactly. Some Shaker was it. Um, Beffer wasn't necessarily it. So the the realization mm -hmm. that I was black was vastly different than the realization that I can hear what you're saying about Shaker. So Sh I think you can't necessarily paint every uh, suburb, you know, suburb in the same light, just but Shaker definitely at least not here. At least not here, because well, our yeah, suburbs not, yeah, are very financially like divided. Solely. You know, right? Yeah, you got different layers of like the finance and the progressiveness. Because right. I raised my child in Bedford. Right. You know, he's five. He's about to be five years old. Right. And we said we got to buy a house in Shaker. Right. <laughs> like we, you know, like if we're gonna get that diversity, right. And I have to pay for it. Yeah. It's Shaker. We got to get out of Bedford. You because know? so I live in Solon, and Solon is like. Elite. All the way up, as yeah. in, so we have a sprinkle of black people, and then down the Shaker would be a little bit more than Bedford, and then like Maple. So you have to in Ohio, you got to layer that, and so your identity, especially as being a, a black individual, to go back to identity, your awareness is very different. Mm -hmm. um, and so yeah, it make I mean to go back to what you were saying, Justice. Yeah, I mean, she she didn't have the stigma of the first nine years of dealing with whatever was going on in the black community. Yeah. Yeah. What you got? That's it? No, no, that was, you know, I just wanted to point that out. You know, I think that was a positive. You know, mm. I think that's a, a great place to be. But for me, you push know, back. That's, that's, you that's know, how you, that's how you view things. That, because yeah, that goes to that, that goes to that, that third point. What we're going to talk about is that the benefit of black, you, 
you yeah, that's that's just how you view things. We'll talk about that later. Like <laughs> him in particular. Yeah, trying to jump forward. Right. Okay. I'm not trying to. I'm but no, so excited seriously. about the evolution because, of this conversation. No, seriously, because justice have moments to where he just want to pack up the Studebaker and just go away from black. Let's be. I mean. Oh really? Is that right? Is that why you're going camping? Okay, I'm kidding. I really like you going camping, but I Because I, I know I'm not going to see any, but no. <laughs> I couldn't um, let it go, though. And it's I funny. understand E. King's metaphor, but, you know, we really need to clean that up. We're going to clean get, it up. You know, like, We're going to clean it up because I like to hit... I, you Kanye West. I, right. I hit, oh. I, hit him, I hit him with it, and so we go back and forth about it. Um, it's, all, you know, it's all in love, right? No, it's all in love. It's all, it's all in love. love. It's okay, okay, okay. But, no, I, I just, you know, I'm a... You haven't heard me say it, but I, I always say on the show, I'm not black, I'm OJ. And I'm, you um, know what? I'm. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. So, I think go the ahead. benefit you know, of being that, black. That's just my, that's going to be my response to it. You know, okay. I love y'all. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to go ahead and wrap this uh, up. We're going to go on a break. Okay. Uh, we're going to take that first break, and on the other side, we're going to talk. We're gonna first talk about being authentically black. So you are listening to Unapologetically Black on WOVULP Cleveland 95.9 FM. Welcome back, and thank you for joining us for this special compilation episode of Unapologetically Black. Next up is minister and owner of DB3 Media Incorporated, Denzel Burnside. He discusses how his faith and his blackness is connected, and then we're going to go directly right into episode 10's guest, real estate agent Doxy Jokes, and insurance agent Barry Brooks as they discuss their experiences with black awareness. When did you, and this may be, this may be a weird question, um, when did you become aware of your blackness? Malcolm X, fourth grade. Malcolm X, fourth grade? I think it had to be Malcolm. Well, Malcolm X, let's say when Malcolm X came out, it solidified where I was. But I, if I can remember my earliest memory, I remember my dad sitting down watching Farrakhan when he did the Million Man March. And I remember, like, I was real, I felt like four or five, and I just remember seeing all these black men just be, like, very, very angry. And, you know, my dad was from um, from the city of Miami, so he had a different tempo than how I grew up in South Dade. And I just couldn't relate, you know, because we had a pretty decent, we grew up middle class for the most part, you know, middle, lower middle class, whatever. So it was like, I didn't understand what the frustration was, and coupled with him, and my uncle, uh, who passed away, who used to have all these pictures of black people in his room, and I would walk in and ask him who they was, he used to be like, go to the library, and I'm like, why you just won't tell me? So it's kind of <laughs> like, you know, it kind of like, it, it was the best thing he did for me, to be honest with you, because it made me never afraid of going to the library and actually doing the research, but I think it all got solidified when Malcolm X came out, and I decided to write my fifth grade black history play, because they never had one. And I got met with so much resistance because people didn't want the character of Malcolm X being presented. So they pushed me to do Martin Luther King as the centerpiece of the play. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, so I think that was when it was middle, middle, elementary, middle school. I was always conscientiously aware that I was black. Okay. Has it been? Can I, can I, yeah, go ahead. Bro. Can I ask a real quick question? Um, what about, what about Martin? I mean, what about Malcolm over Martin um, made you decide to pick him? What was it? What, what what was the what's the difference between Malcolm and Martin? That's you know what I can, I rock with this guy. I just, mean, just. I, just, I mean, I was you know I grew up as a kid who played Optimus football in the park and you know all of that, and I saw a lot of wild stuff in my neighborhood. 
So seeing an image of a black man that was disciplined, that was well contained, that came from the same existence of a lot of my uncles and homeboys that I eventually grew up with, that was able to like literally convert, you know, was like, yo, it was just mad attractive. You know what I'm saying? It was it was mad appealing. And I just I just I, I connected to that dominant that dominant role, you know what I'm saying? That that alpha like figure that just I didn't see in a lot of dudes around me, you know. I mean, my dad had it in demeanor, but he didn't have it in poise. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. Malcolm was intelligent, you know, like just to see how he could destroy dudes without putting his hands on them, mm-hmm. just with talking, you know what I'm saying? That was attractive to me. You know, like, yo, like you could do that? Okay. I wanna and um in terms of Martin, it was just there weren't a lot of images of a Martin Luther King um outside of what they tried to tell you of him that were attractive to me. You know what I'm saying? It was like, okay, he's yeah, he's cool, he's for everybody. That was kind of the narrative. But until I started getting a chance to dig deeper after the fact, I got a chance to understand just how significant he was. But Martin at Malcolm at the time, I mean the movie was like you know, this was, and then when you know that what Spike went through to get that movie done, it was right. just like, yo, this, right. this right here, this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. And he didn't even get the Oscar. Then nobody get the Oscar on that one. Nobody got the Oscar. <laughs> like, groundbreaking role that literally solidified Denzel's trajectory from that point on. You know, is your so, blackness static? So when you say you said fourth grade, so I, I have to believe that your idea of your blackness isn't stuck at fourth grade. No, no, it, 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 I think, I think it, it, it evolves, it evolves in the microcosm of, you know, it, I think it also can be regionalized, right? Like my blackness, I, I grew up being proud to be black, right? Like I, I grew up in the South as much, or Miami, which is a kind of a hybrid of the South, mm-hmm. but my family has roots to South Carolina, it has roots to Atlanta, it has roots to Alabama and Louisiana, right? So my expression of blackness getting on the bus in the morning with, you know what I'm saying, Cubans, Colombians, uh, blacks who were of island descent who didn't connect to the same blackness I connected to was a little bit different, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we used to crack up. We was just a regular black kid. You know what I'm saying? You know, but we held our lane. You know what I'm saying? In that, And I grew up with a grandfather, you know, who was that I own property. I, I'm Black Wall Street, you know, so it was a pride for me, but I found out for other brothers you know, that I was coming up with, they didn't like being black. Right. And that was mind-blowing for me. It was like, wait, what? You know, I mean, I knew it was hard. Don't get me wrong. I didn't like being, I had the same issues they had being pulled over by the police, going to certain communities and having issues, dating certain girls that they didn't want you dating. Right. You know, Miami very, you know, it's, it's, inter- it's, it's intersectional, but it's very um, separated mm-hmm. as much as people might want. We all together. Nah, it's still a lot of healing that's going on in our community. And when you throw different immigrant communities in the pot, it becomes very problematic at times because we still haven't gotten over things that happen between just black and white relations, let alone Cuban relations or Venezuelan relations or, you know, all these other communities that come or black and black and Haitian uh, relationships, just black and uh, African-American relationships. And when I was coming up, we was beefing with them. And didn't even know, like, historically that they're responsible in a lot of areas for our liberation because we didn't know. Right. You know what I'm saying? I like that idea of regional blackness. Just didn't we we talked about that beforehand. Meaning as in your blackness as in New York was never my blackness as in Cleveland. It has nope. some similarities, but it wasn't that blackness and it wasn't even that blackness that was in California. You remember that conversation that because I think we got a little oh, yeah, heat about yeah, that yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. 
that was the day that she was like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you don't remember? You're sitting there looking at me like you're crazy. Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember. I just, it's, it's one of those conversations that, you know, I honestly try to avoid nowadays because you have so many people who will disagree with what he just said or what we're talking about. And, Which you know, part? and now what part, what part? Well, that, that there are different kinds of black people that don't necessarily think that they're black because they're from the Island or from there from Africa or they're from, you know, Europe or, you know, whatever the case may be, they just don't want to be black American. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have a debate with someone and, and I use the regional black, that's from a different region right. and they can't see what they're doing you know, it's 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 one of those conversations that I'm just tired of having. When you say they can't I, see, I'm, I'm, oh, go ahead, and Denzel. I'm completely with him. I'm completely with, look. I it, I went to Fam right, and you know, I think Fam gave me the best opportunity my first two years before I had to come home of understanding it. But you know, just as you know, like at an HBCU, they have regional clubs, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So you got the Miami club, you got the Tampa club, you got the the late. They had they had a party with Louisiana and Texas because their music was expressed differently than ours. And when I would go into those rooms or to their meetings, there was a different sense of what they were dealing with, even though it was still connected to the homogenous uh, homogenous uh, culture of being black. Mm-hmm. There was some things that were a little bit different to my experience. And then when I came back home to Miami and started going to FIU, which is most of the black people that go there are predominantly Caribbean descent. We couldn't even get I started the Black Student Union at FIU. We couldn't even get the Caribbean Islanders to come in with us in the Black Student Union so that we could collectively organize to get more money for our programming and we would share with them to do what they want to do during Caribbean Week. Was it the stigmas of, did it have a lot to do with stigma? So A lot of it had to do with their family members. They used a lot, you know what's funny, and this is why I got into media work, I didn't realize until I really started going to FIU how deep the stigma of media was or the perception of black people was across the world and it was so unappealing to especially our brothers and sisters in the island like they would mm-hmm. say you know our parents would tell us don't be like these folks on BET right you know what I'm saying right yeah and so they they didn't want to connect or and in most instances you know if you're talking to a Trinidadian they have so many other ethnicities running going through them they don't want to be referred to or they don't, they feel like they're being demoralized if you're just calling them black okay you know and I know it's a conversation we don't want to have but the reality of it is is one that is, you know, still playing out in the tribalism amongst the tribes today. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it kind of, and especially for me as a minister, mm-hmm. I, I get blessed that I can go to white churches, Hispanic churches, uh, Caribbean churches, Asian churches now, um, African orthodoxy churches. Mm-hmm. But I do recognize that there are some different cultural expressions of how folks see this image of this thing that we say we're all a part of. Mm-hmm. Go back to your ministry as it relates to your blackness. How does that impact or your business or whatever you're doing as far as uh, your mission or the reason why you are who you are? How does that what you got? I mean, I can give a short answer, then we come back to it. I think yeah. for me, it was um, I looked at my grand, like I said, my grandparents are from the South, like mm-hmm. like get kicked in the mouth South. Right. Yeah. Like just for looking at people the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And um, me. Well, my grandmother would tell things that, you know, her, her greatest joy was being able to safely get to the church and get communion and get home safe. And God was everything. When I was a kid, I didn't understand that. Right. Mm-hmm. But when I became a man and I really, so it, it's everything for me now, okay. you know? 
Okay. So we, we are going to take that break. And on the other side, we're actually going to get into the uh, topic. But I do want you to talk a little bit more about how it impact, impact uh, your idea of faith. Because um, black faith is something that is under attack. I'm going to be real about it. And uh, we can get into it on that other side. Yeah. So uh, once again, this is Unapologetically Black. I've already primed them, you know, for the first question that we always ask. So let's just get into it. And I'm going to go from my right first. Doxy, mm. when did you first become aware of your blackness? The first time was working in the bank. Because okay. I was a, a manager in the bank, and they would want to see the person that did not look like me to help them out with their <laughs> situation. And then people had to direct them to me, mm. and they were surprised, mm. you right. know. Mm -mm. So I was the, you know, the mm -hmm. head, you know what, in charge. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, and I was in a very um, ritzy community, suburb mm -hmm. of Cleveland. So, okay. yeah, it was kind of surprised that they didn't want to deal with me. Now, now, that was the first time you were aware of your blackness. Well, I mean, I went to uh, Bowling Green State University, okay. Okay. so it was very few blacks at the time there, and we all stood together, we partied mm -hmm. together, you mm -hmm. know, it wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't any big, I didn't have any name calling towards mm -hmm. me, I mean, I had a good experience at okay. Bowling Green, so I'm a, I knew I was black, but nobody was right. holding it against me, Right. Okay. you know. Okay. Um, and that's was, the key part, it's not just holding against you, it's also, because also to be black, we also talked about it last week on the show. It's cool to be black when you're tr when black is trending. Right. So mm -hmm. it's, it's not just right. it's mm -hmm. not just when you know someone holding against you. It's like oh she's black, so she's automatically what? Did you ever encounter that? So because she's black, she's automatically she you know she's fair skinned. So that means she's automatically you know we pick her first in a group of 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 girls or whatever yeah. have you. Did you ever experience that yes. with, with your okay? Yes, absolutely. Say more about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, well, that, that takes me all the way back to, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, to, to middle school yeah, and everything. School. You know, right. the people with the mm -hmm. long, quote-unquote, yep. right. good hair, exactly. you know. Yeah, you they, know. they were yep. the pretty girls, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why I never learned to swim, believe it or really? not, because my hair. I did not want to go to sit and get pressed and comb oh. uh, and pulling in. You yeah. know, that's a lot when you're a black girl and have to sit there and go through <laughs> that. So I okay. didn't want my hair messed up. Seriously, right. didn't want my hair messed wow. up, so I never learned to swim. And that's a, that's amazing wow. because a lot of a lot of black women, you know, the Surgeon General under President Obama was saying, you know, black women, their their hair is causing them a lot of the pain, and mm -hmm. not only you know health reason wise mm -hmm. with with chemicals and whatnot, mm -hmm. but also with safety with swimming, mm -hmm. because a person that can't swim is held back yeah. from a fair amount of other activities that involve the water yeah. now just because you didn't swim did that hinder you from you know participating in any water you know sports well or water uh, activities i guess I yes it did i okay. even went to the bahamas for my honeymoon and i stuck my little toe in the water and that was it <laughs> that was it that was it and it's beautiful in it. the bahamas oh, yeah, that was it but i made sure my kids learned how to swim yeah. so they can save okay. me if necessary because i knew that was important but right um, you know, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing right. because yeah. what what I hear you saying more than anything else is because of my hair, because of this thing that black women did, because getting your 
hair pressing curl. This whole movement of natural hair. It wasn't come on, let's be real. Then. Let's be uh -huh. real. Angela Davis, that was that was in the 70s, 60s, 70s, but there was that 80s to where, you know, looking uh what's the word uh, what's the word uh, uh Afrocentric. Well, looking Afrocentric but mainstream was mainstream, that was okay. actually in, right? That right. that pressed hair. Mm -hmm. oh, that, yes. you know, that uh I got to have it long. I got to have it this and good hair good hair versus bad hair. Right. And if you ever get a chance to watch um right. uh uh what is his name? The comedian. The comedian. He did good hair versus bad hair. Yeah. What, he what, did. What's his he name? Did. Rick uh, uh, Chris think. Rock. Yeah, Chris Rock. And they oh, talk yeah, about yeah. that. They talk yeah. about the creamy crack. He yeah, the yeah, creamy yeah, crack. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. you go. And so and so yeah. So what I hear more than anything else is that once again we we on this show we don't want to shy away from that. You know, there is some positive. There are positives to being black, but also that mindset of I needed my hair to be like the mainstream. Also, you know, like you just said, hindered you from mm -hmm. actually learning how to swim. Now, what's stopping you from swimming now? Well, I'm scared of water. Maybe because I wasn't around water growing okay. up. and never. Okay. Now I'm, I'm scared of water. So maybe I'll learn how to swim one of these days. But Come on now. You got to do it now. I don't know. Come on. Okay. Okay. Well, we're not going to jump on that. <laughs> now, the second the second question that we have, or and we even we even talk, talked about it a little bit. Tell me a little bit more about how that awareness shaped your identity or who you are. Well, it, okay, we had a little of that in the when I was in banking and everything, right. but when it really hit home was when I got into real estate mm -hmm. because uh, there there's a lot of covenants that I saw even in old deeds that mm. you couldn't sell to certain people or whatever. Right. Right. And when we this was back in the '90s, there was a lot of areas in Cleveland where you couldn't put up a for sale sign because they didn't want people to know the house was for sale because they wanted their people to buy the house and they didn't want anybody to know. Mm -hmm. And even to this day, which I hate, people have what's called now the PC term, pocket listings. What is that? They're not in the MLS. Mm. It's just between the realtor. These are closet listings? Pocket List listings. What, That's closet, what pocket? pocket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking you know, about. You, you need a house in Cleveland. I know a house, you know, it's not in the MLS, but it's uh. available, you know. Is that um, helping our community or hindering our community? I don't like them. Okay. Because it, it, it's a way of discriminating. How are we going to have access to it if we don't know about it? I, right. I agree. Exactly. I agree. They don't want a certain people to move next to them or in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So if they don't know about that the house is for sale, Mm -hmm. So be it. And we're going to get into that a little bit more in the second in the yeah. second segment. But go back to so, the identity so, aspect of um, it. So um, in real estate, I find that there's so much racism in real estate. And that's where, you know, as far as housing, that's the thing that people really, they'll be your friend at work or whatever. But right. when it comes to their house, it's a whole, whole different, different story who they sell to. Mm -hmm. And I remember they were writing letters when they were in multiple offers. And people nowadays, and I don't even do it, mm -hmm. when they're in a multiple, I have my buyer write a letter, but some buyers are putting pictures and everything, mm -hmm. sending to the mm -hmm. seller, me and my family, showing a picture of their family. Mm -hmm. Well, if my buyer's black and they're a little perfect white family, you know, it's like that's yeah. unfair because they might say, okay, yeah. I'll give it to the white people. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. you know, so I really found a lot in real estate of how how much re your your home people are really um, racist. That's all right. I can say. They're <laughs> really racist, and that's when you you find out about when you go to make offers on a home. I had a coworker, and she was black, and she had a person wanting to make an offer on a five million dollar home. Mm -hmm. 
She had the hardest time with that offer. Well, are these people qualified? Yes, you have a letter here. Well, how'd you meet these people? Mm. What difference does it make? How That's she a litmus met them? test, How isn't it? How did you get this buyer? You know, like you're oh, supposed to get a buyer. Right. That happens all home. the time. Wow. You get a listing. I had one in, in a nice area. Mm-hmm. Um, about, I don't know, $700,000. Mm. Oh, how'd you get that listing, Doxy? You know, did you know? You know, who are these people? Who are the sellers? What were, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I can't get them because okay. of my work that I do good marketing, you know, that okay. I can get the job done. Great. But wow. Mm-hmm. And so it, this identity or your black identity, it do you see it as both a, a help or a hindrance overall in the real estate era? And we're going to talk about this in the second segment. But just as far as your black identity, do you think it's helping you or hindering you? Well, you know. Even because some people, they don't put their pictures on their cards or mm-hmm. anything because right. they say that they right. don't want people to know they're black. When you walk up to the door and you answer the door, I mean, they're going to know eventually. So it's like, why hide it? I'm one of those, I'm one of those you know, who did I don't it for a long time. Kept I your picture off. I would keep my picture off. Well, see, I have my picture my on, room. and now my picture is off. Maybe because I'm older, and I don't yeah. want my picture on there. But, you know, yeah, you're flipping it. But, you know, it's like they're going to find out when right. you show yes, up. Yes, so yes, why yes, shock them like okay. that, you yes, know? So yes. so we're going to switch over to you, yeah. Brother Brooks. So, so when did you become aware of your blackness? You know, uh I believe it was, I was in the sixth grade, about 13. Okay. And uh, we had moved from Frank Avenue, which is off of Cedar. Mm-hmm. And we moved to Bartlett uh, mm-hmm. in Mount Pleasant off 131st. Yep. And uh, when we moved in the house, um, there was a kid next door. I couldn't tell you his name today. Um, but, you know, the people next door were white mm-hmm. on one side, and the people on the other side were black. And so we were, I was out in the yard and I saw the kid come out. I had seen him coming and going. So, you know, I'm like, hell, this is a new neighbor. Let me, mm-hmm. let me say mm-hmm. hello. Now I knew his, his dad would always look at us funny and you know, right. you're, you're 12, 13 years old. You don't know. Mm-hmm. And you know, but it wasn't a, a pleasant look, but I, you know, I f- just didn't know. So when I finally talked to his son and I remember uh, this kid and he was, he was uh, very apologetic. He said, my dad told me I can't talk to you. Mm. As we and, call that tall racism. Right. Because apparently like, he had a blank slate. What? Yeah, you know, yeah, why? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he just, he wouldn't say anything. He's just, my dad said, I can't talk to you. Right. And it was almost like he didn't understand why either. Because it sounded like he wanted to meet me as well. Right. And we only had that conversation. And we had no conversation after that. And uh, they politely moved within six months after we mm, had moved black into flight. our house. Yeah, we're gonna oh, bring yeah, it. We're yeah, gonna, yeah, we're gonna talk about that also on yeah. in the second segment. That black, the that white was, flight. I mean, white yeah. flight, not black mm-hmm. flight. I wish we did have a black flight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, well, you, well, you're kind of sorted too. We yeah. can talk about that. Too. Okay, yeah, yeah, we can talk. Mm-hmm. We can talk about black and white flight. That was in the sixties. That was about sixty-five, sixty-six. We bought our home, and uh, my dad never spoke to the man next door. If he did. Whatever they had to say didn't go far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then again, I went to my I went to visit my cousin uh, who lived in Cleveland Heights at the time, mm-hmm. and they had bought a home off of Washington. Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, beautiful, nice little bungalow, man. right by the high school, right, right near yeah, the high right school, near the high exactly. School. Mm-hmm. So I met him up at the campus. Mm-hmm. I came up on the campus, and it was great. 
you know, I was a couple of, you know, I was a, a senior or maybe I was in 11th grade gotcha. when they moved and uh, at John Hay. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was great because of the fact that it was blacks and whites going to school right. together. And I had been in totally in a, a black environment schools. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, you know, the only thing white there was the teachers, which you expected. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I said, man, you got blacks and whites going here. And, you know, um, you know, he said, man, I get along with everybody. We just have a great time. So I thought that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But he told me, he said it was a lot of Jewish people. And I said, well, who is Jews? Mm-hmm. You know, I, and again, not, you know, <laughs> no, and I've been going to you church. You were 13, um, 14, right. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm going to church and everything, and I'm thinking Jews is like somebody else, some Martians or something, not putting it together and growing up in a Christian home. You know, these are the same people. Mm -hmm. So when I figured it out, eventually, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, every, you know, then, you know, it was like, wow, this is great. And a large Jewish community. And he, you know, he has friends from high school today that are doing very well with Jewish, Mm -hmm. and and he's doing well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the third time, well, third time was when I went to, I, I worked for a, a company called Union Carbide, and mm-hmm. that was the first time I worked side by side with whites. And these were folks from West Virginia, mm-hmm. and they didn't, they didn't hide their, their uh, mm-hmm. uh, feelings yeah. and uh, their racism. But I learned as, to get along. Mm-hmm. And, and as times had changed or was changing, um, my, I would party with them and had mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Had my first taste of moonshine <laughs> with them. Moonshine? Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. for real, man. Yeah, I mean, that's that, that West Virginia. Oh, yeah, man. Those right. boys didn't play. And and uh, we used to, you know, party together. And, you know, I don't, mm-hmm. for all you listeners, I know you, some of you had where you go to the bar and yeah. and have yeah. a good time with them. And, you know, and but did I ever go to their homes? No. Right. But we had certain places we would meet and mm-hmm. have, we, we were cool. How do you think that shaped your identity, though? Um, now I know that mean, in what way you mean? Um, in what way do you think how how that interaction uh, affected how you viewed yourself and how you moved throughout the world? I, I think it, it it made me view myself in a way to know myself better and to mm-hmm. understand that I am black. I think that was the piece that really mm-hmm. emboldened me about being black. Okay. Uh, because I worked with them every day. I saw the racism from some, and I saw some racism. I saw where God worked in their lives, where a lot of those guys were, they their hearts softened. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, and that's how we got to talking, and mm-hmm. we, we did talk about racial things. Right. You know, uh, you spoke about earlier, before we went on air, about the Italians. And all. Right. There was a pride with those guys. Right. Uh, Italians and guys from Europe, other other uh, folks mm-hmm. from Europe. Right. Um, but you know, when it came to the West Virginian people, we basically looked at each other and said, you know, we a lot alike. We mm-hmm. had a lot because even in their own white community, they were looked on down right. on as white trash. <laughs> right. right. So that's unfortunately, what I don't yeah, yeah, I don't get that. They either. had issues, right. and and they when they went to West Virginia, a lot of them had people who had you know that's the first time I had heard about. Um, what do you call it? Uh, and I should know this. Uh, side by side uh, trailers 
the, the oh tri- yeah uh, double, what is it double side double wide double wide there you go double wide yeah you know uh I, that's the first time i'd heard and seen them i you know a couple of the guys wanted me to roll with them down to west virginia right. with them and right. just hang out and uh, no, no, yeah, I can't do man. that one. You got to watch yourself uh, over there. Yeah. Because even though we were, we were, I knew they were good people. He said, right. you know, one guy I remember who was a really good friend, he mm-hmm. passed away. But he said, Barry, don't worry, man, just because I wasn't married. And he said, mm-hmm. just come on down, man, and hang with us one weekend, man, because we're going to have a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. We're going to ride around. We're going to talk, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm like, nah, man. Yeah, but they understood. Mm-hmm. They understood. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm looking at my safety. I know I was cool with them. Right. But. Basically, you know, I wanted to come home. So okay. I got you. <laughs> I think the best way to come home is to stay home. I got you. So, so, but no, I in and in viewing my blackness, mm-hmm. I I felt more about about my culture, right? About what I was about, right? Uh, because they ask questions, right? And I'm like, oh, I never thought about that being black, right. you know, uh, because they wanted to know more about me and what way I grew up, right? Believe it or not, just mm-hmm. like I was asking them about, and 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 to be honest with you. It was basically, it was a lot, a lot, a lot the same. Right. You because know? It, a lot of times it, it really is, especially with West Virginia. If you know anything about West mm, Virginia, yeah, man. they're the same as, you know, Pennsylvania, same right. as Ohio. Oh, yeah. Very good a, lot, a lot of, of Pennsylvanians. What, right. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of the, and I'm talking about economically. Mm-hmm. Economically, those three mm-hmm. uh, uh, states are pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. And so when we there are upper crust whites that look down on lower crust whites mm-hmm. and I never could understand if they're looking at you negatively why are you looking at me negatively for the same reason mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. same reason so mm-hmm. we gonna get on well, can, can I yeah, just throw ahead. something else yeah. in but when I really ran into racism mm-hmm. is when I became a nationwide agent and we gonna get into that okay that was a totally different okay. piece okay yeah. and we gonna bring that we yeah. gonna bring that one in on the other side of break cause we up, we up on it we got you All know right. Barry we oh, gotta yeah. take breaks no, around got here you. I got <laughs> you the man lead us out so yeah we got so on the other side of the break we gonna talk one uh, working with black people two black and white flight as it relates to real estate and the second one is mixed income neighborhoods as it relates to is that something and so what they looked at as it relates to mixed income neighborhoods to say you know is that okay? Are we looking at that? And we see a lot of that with the gentrification. But the more and more I looked into it, it seemed a lot like mixed race income. So That's I want to get you. I want to get your your thoughts on that as we come back. Okay. So once again, this is unapologetically black. Welcome back, and thank you for joining us for this special compilation episode of Unapologetically Black. Last but not least, we have India Parker and her mentor Keith Collins II. Both are writers, directors, and producers of feature film as well as shorts. Both tell a powerful story of how interactions with the police, with their fathers, shape their blackness or their view of their blackness at a very young age. Sit back and enjoy. Oh, I knew it. (laughs) Ladies first. So our standard question that we ask all of our guests, because this is a black show, this is called Unapologetically Black. We are black in America. My first, our first question, our standard question is: When did you become aware of your blackness? Um, I, I guess I thought of a story for this. So I probably was like maybe like seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Um, my father had took me and my brother to go get some school shoes, um, and we caught the RTA 
the rapid, I guess what it's called. Mm-hmm. We got on a rapid downtown to get some shoes. And we got off the rapid, we were coming into Tower City and two cops was walking towards us. And they asked the asked my father um if he had just robbed a store in Tower City. And my father was like, No, I'm with my kids. Like mm-hmm. we just got off the rapid. Like how could that be possible? Mm-hmm. So then like the officers got upset and they said my father was giving them lip and one of them attacked my father. So they started mm-hmm. beating him with the nightstick Mm -hmm. and my dad fought back so he got arrested and then me and my brother got sent home in a cop Mm -hmm. car to Mm -hmm. my mother um and he had spent a couple months in jail Mm -hmm. and eventually all the charges were dropped because he didn't do anything but like basically like falsely accused for a crime so i didn't know just because he was black somebody else was black Mm -hmm. robbed the store and Mm -hmm. that's the first time i realized like that i was black (laughs) good old fit the description (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) Wow. Right. I mean, I, you know what? Wow. That's the first time I ever heard that story from you. And we've yeah. been knowing each other for at least five years. Yeah. Five years. And so what age were you again? I think I was like seven or eight. Wow. Damn, seven. Yeah. Seven or eight. Like, what? so that was my first encounter with police and like... You know, ever since then, I've been afraid of the police. Like, right. I don't even, if they behind me, I'm I'm right. making sure I'm violating all the traffic laws. I'm that's not doing nothing. serious thing. trauma. But yeah, so like, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. So. Wow. Now, so take it back. What was... You, what was your interaction with your dad after all this thing? Like, what was the discussion? Well, I don't know. I don't know if me and my dad ever, ever talked about it. Um, I don't think he's ever talked about that moment. I've talked about it with my grandmother and my mother mm-hmm. and things like that because they were saying if it had to go to trial, then I would have to testify. So they mm-hmm. were trying to, like, prepare me for, like, what happened, what I remember and things like that because I'm older than my brother, so he right. wouldn't have been able to remember anything. Mm-hmm. So the, that was just stressful because I didn't want to go on a stand, but I don't want my father to go to jail. Mm-hmm. So it was just like I'm a kid and this is a lot. Right. So what was your brother's uh, wow reaction discussions? He was crying the whole time. Like he yeah. just cried. Me, I was angry. Like me, I don't know. I was a tough kid, so I want to jump in there. Like right. this is my dad. Like right. what's going on? But then we got sent back in a cop car, and I was upset. My brother cried the whole ride. My mom was mad. She was like, you're never going with your father again. Like, she was upset that this happened. Like, I send you with him, and you come back in the police car. So That's just... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, one of the movies just, we're gonna we actually that just gonna, touched your, your your heartstrings, didn't it? Man, it hit me hard on that one because one of the movies yeah. we're gonna talk about later on is The Hate You Give, which is a book that is wow. in the film that's talking about the police violence and killing of black individuals. If I mean, by the grace of God, he's not. He didn't. They nah, didn't kill him. He didn't kill him. Yeah. But they yeah. beat him up though, pretty bad, and arrested him. So. <laughs> two white cops. Yeah, two white cops. Mm. But my dad was trying to explain to him, like, how is it possible? We, <clears throat> my dad was like, how is it possible that I committed a crime and right. then left Tower City and then came back with these two kids? Like, we legit just got off the, the rapid. Wow. That doesn't even make sense. Doesn't even make sense. Jess, you got anything on that? <laughs> Nah, I've been through that a whole bunch of times. Yeah. <laughs> I, hey, I shouldn't have started with you. You'd have brought me down now. I'm, I'm sorry. You no, no, told no, no, me. But I pre- no, no, no. I appreciate you sharing that because yeah. it's, it's, that was, yeah, that's, that's hurtful right now. But uh, our second question is how do, how do you believe that awareness shaped your identity as of like today? Uh, 
I, I think I'm just more cautious of like everything. Okay. Like, I don't know. I, like, I know you're supposed to call the police like when you're in danger, mm -hmm. but like I've legit never called the police for anything. Like 911 or like, I'm serious. Like I've never dialed <laughs> their number for anything. Since like, period. yeah, like I, the police really make me anxious though. Like when I'm riding around and I see them, like I right. make sure like my seatbelt is on, I'm looking forward, I'm, I have both hands is on the steering wheel. Like I'm making sure I'm yeah. going to speed limit not too fast not too slow so it's just like i don't want to even get pulled over and it, the times i've had been pulled over mm -hmm. in my life like it's i'm so anxious like oh what is going to happen in our business we call that unresolved trauma yeah and, i mean seriously <laughs> yeah, I know. it's called unresolved trauma and it's <laughs> it's unfortunate that uh, entity that's that's built to protect everyone yeah. you're saying if something bad happens to you you're yeah. not calling the people that get paid to protect you. Yeah, no. I'm probably Who not are you too. calling? You I probably call my family. Like, if something, yeah, my uncle. Like, if something happened, well, I like, I'll normal, call your right. family. Yeah. So it's normal for us to call God. family before we even call the police. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that's a normal thing. Crazy. Well, all right, then. <laughs> but no, thank you for sharing on no. that. Okay. Um, thank you. Thank you for putting that forth. And that, because it needs to be said, and, you know, thank goodness that your dad. Yeah. survived it yeah. but yeah. I can definitely hear in your voice and just what you're describing just that unresolved trauma yeah. and distrust that's that's rampant in our community of the police that's true right I mean we they tell us to stop you know they want us to snitch in for the community yeah but I want the boys in blue to, to snitch first because yeah. somebody yeah. You know, when this happened with your dad, somebody knew. Yeah, a lot know? of people was out there Meaning and as saw Somebody that. in blue knew. Yeah, oh, true. And yeah. so, why didn't why didn't that person go back and say, "Yeah, this that dude wasn't doing nothing." Yeah. This is, you know, and yeah, okay. You got anything just before I switch over the key? <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah. Uh, I've been through that wow. too many times. I'm good. Oh, all right, Keith. Your turn. Well, <laughs> in stark contrast, in stark contrast to what you just said, uh, my my father was a police officer. Mm. And, Mine too. Uh, Mine too. The the interesting thing though, uh, when I was about maybe ten years old, if I recall, we got stopped by the police, and mind you, he was not in a uniform or anything mm -hmm. like that. And the police officer came up to the car and pretty much started questioning him about everything. Right. You know. Well, he pulls out his badge, and this particular officer said the badge was fake. Really? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. Whose who's badge was fake? This police officer told my father, who was also a police officer, <laughs> that his badge was fake. Oh, wow. God, dog. That's just so, disrespectful. Uh, I mean, it ended up eventually getting resolved after he got the ticket, mm -hmm. but... It was at that moment I realized him being a police officer mattered nothing, mm -hmm. you know, to the color of his skin. Right. And uh, that was a moment, uh, one of many moments that mm -hmm. I realized I was black. Mm -hmm. And your dad, did he retire? Yeah, he retired. Cleveland Police? No, uh, Bedford. Bedford Police, okay. Because mm -hmm. my dad retired Cleveland Police. He was actually the first and only black officer they've ever had. In Bedford? In Bedford. Wow. So how do you think your awareness shaped your identity as of right now? Oh, wow. You just end up paying attention to everything. Mm -hmm. um, you pay attention to how people talk to you, how people react to you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You pay attention to your surroundings. I mean, my father was a police officer, and I pay attention to the police just like everybody else. Right. You know what I mean? Like, 
I keep my hands on the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. I make sure that I'm mm-hmm. looking straight and not looking at them. I mean, right. just all those things. So, you know, you just end up being way too aware of your surroundings. You don't have that mm-hmm. privilege to not care sure. what's right. around you. Right. <laughs> and that's crazy because I had the exact opposite. My father was police, but I'm also caramel color. So mm-hmm. I think I got that benefit. But I was totally, I was, I mean, I, Justice and I, we had had a big fight at University of Akron. We were online for like, what, five days, Just? Mm-hmm. We was online, and I had just met Justice. And so we had had a big fight at University of Akron, which was the reason why you couldn't have stepping or fraternity parties <laughs> at University of Akron for a period of time. Oh. And I remember talking to the police like, you and this and that, and you don't mean nothing to me, and I didn't get beat, I didn't get nothing. I got tossed in the back. But I had that reverence, and I don't, I mean, I had not reverence, actually. I had that just, just I just didn't, you didn't, didn't care. care. You had. Yeah. You had that confidence, but I, I do have to say something, and this is a question I was going to ask the two brothers on the on the because I do remember that night. Not you, <laughs> last week. Last week, not okay. you. You're not talking about two. I, no, 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 no. Last week. I'm about, well, I meant the two brothers and E and the other brother. I'm not a sister. Okay. Um, but having sorry, uh, well, because they both have um, officers as fathers. You know. You mean me um, and, and I Keith? Heard, uh, yeah. You know. Um, and so I think E. King just kind of wrapped it up with what he said. I feel like in that instance, because I remember the fight, you know, one of the things that you did say was my father's a cop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I do remember you saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess my question to you guys now is, you know, do you think that it, it has changed any um, for, I guess, the black cops since them, day, them days and today? So, you know, do you think that, you know, the, if your father was pulled over and he showed his badge, would he still be said, would it still be said that his badge is fake? What you got, you know, Um, You know, I, I, I'm not sure um, the way things are going today. Um, part of me, uh, part of it is the, the where we were in the community and, you know, at the time, like I said, he's the first and only black cop. So mm-hmm. when he said where he was a cop, they're like, no, nah, you're not. Right, you know they don't have they don't, they don't have they don't have black cops there. <laughs> you know? and it's I think, almost like you kind of understand, you know. Right, right. It, it, and but it was just interesting that you know you could pull out a, literally an authentic badge. You could right. say your who your boss is. You could right. say who the chief is. You right. could say who the mayor is, and they're just like, nah, nah, that ain't him. <laughs> nah, you that know? ain't him. For, <laughs> for me. Um, I don't know. My dad was kind of different. I mean, we had a, a strange relationship, but we did talk. We do talk a lot about he's retired right now and he is Cleveland police, you know, Cleveland police officer went our way up to FBI task force. And he when I when these shootings would happen, I would ask him, like, what's up, dude? You know, what's going on? He would tell he would literally his his exact words were it's not us. It's not a look at the skin color of the people. And my comeback to him was, why didn't y'all tell? You worked in internal affairs. What the hell was you doing when <laughs> things were going downhill? I think I think in the end, no matter which way, and I mean, I hate I hate to say it like this, but even though they are the law, it's still a gang. Yes, it's still a yes. gang. Like yes. they won't say anything. Yes, they won't say anything until it's over. Mm-hmm. You know, like now when they're retired, they'll say stuff. Mm-hmm. They'll say this wrong, but when they're there, they just won't do it. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, because so I just, I just wanted to make sure that you know, that if, see if there was a change between those times and these times, and if you guys, if you guys feel it, you know, I don't feel, I don't feel it, but I didn't have a father as a mm-hmm. as a cop. I had an uncle as a cop, mm-hmm. you know, but I didn't have a father. I don't think it's changed. No, I, yeah, I, I, I can't I say that it's changed. I can't say that it's changed, and I and I think uh, I want to, I wanted to say it did, but I just. Can't. I mean, because it's been it's been decades, yeah. And you would imagine that things would have changed just a little bit. Well, you you look at the situation. I mean, it's the same stories. Like, there's if you think about even when when you look at movies, the same scenarios played from movies from the '90s yeah. dealing with cops Boom. that happen so today. The same, Boom. the same yeah. trope. Uh, yeah, it's the exact same trope. That's the point that I'm making yeah. right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's the same. It's the, it, is, it is the same trope. Because yeah. it ha- actually have, and oddly enough, we got two writers, directors, producers here, so we can talk about that later on. But yeah, I don't, I don't see that it has changed, and it is a game. Because what's interesting, we got Black Lives Matters, then they did All Lives Matters, and somebody decided to say Blue Lives Matters, as if, as if, well, <laughs> as it's, if it's you funny. You're, you're born blue, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how it is. You're born right. blue, and, and, right. and they're hunting people who are blue. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't. I don't get it. It's like blue lives matter. Really, nah, it makes it's as if they don't have, as if they're being accosted. Exactly. You know, as if they're being in danger. Yeah. I mean, it's a dangerous job. but, yeah. but, but that's something again, they know that they're getting into. When exactly. they sign that's a choice. up, exactly. you signed up for that yeah. job. Exactly. Soldiers <laughs> signed up for that job. Right. Exactly. Police officers, firefighters, EM, EMTs, they all these people signed, signed up, up for that, that job. job. So. It's not like you don't go into it. Really, like, what it what it boils what it boils down to is a lot of people uh, they shouldn't have that job. They're they're yes. scared. Yes, they shouldn't go into a field that yes. involves so much danger. If you're going to be scared, and if you're going to be scared of a person's color, because what's, what's, the, li- <laughs> what's the line? though? what's the line? I, I fear for, for my, my life. life. Exactly, and and it's up to their discretion yeah. based on how law is written. So exactly. they they could fear for their life. You had a banana in your hand. <laughs> yeah. you know, like they fear for their life. You yeah. were gonna kill them right. with a banana. Exactly, you know? like banana in the tailpipe. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot. And, of, and I just want to. Uh, no, go ahead. Go I ahead. was about to say. I and think. I, a, and I just want to point point out that you know when we started off at the beginning of the show Uh you were talking about cleveland that was one of the biggest reasons why i just like cleveland Uh you know quite frankly quite and i don't have no problem with saying that the people had to do with the the people in blue (laughs) (laughs) what you got india um i was just gonna say i don't think they do enough psychological evaluations for a lot of people when they go to be Mm -hmm. police officers like a lot of people have like issues from their past and things like that and they shouldn't be people that's going to protect them. You're supposed to protect and serve everyone. Mm-hmm. I think that's what you're supposed to be doing. Well, everybody. But everybody. But right. they don't, yeah, they only, like, this, they're very selective on the people that they want to protect <laughs> and serve. <laughs> well, I think that there, you, wherever there's power, there's always going to be corruption. That's true. So you have to remember true. that there's always going to be an inkling of corruption. And true. if they have that power, like, what is a patrolman going to do when a lieutenant, you know, is true. corrupt? You know yeah, what? It, what nothing it, because he's under and him, they, and they're all gonna you know follow his lead if he's allowing those things. So like where there's where there's power, there's typically some type of corruption. I mean, you you hope that there won't be. Yeah. All right, let's get into our first. We get, <laughs> we get into our, we can spend like hours. Yeah, yeah, we just did police 
Police brutality. We're going to head out to our first break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to jump right into the topic. Uh, black imagery in TV and movies or films or however way you want to say it. Uh, you're listening to Unapologetically Black on WOVU LP Cleveland 95.9. It's about that time for us to get up out of here. I want to thank you guys for listening to this special edition of Unapologetically Black. You can find full episodes of our discussions by searching for Unapologetically Black on your favorite podcasting platforms. Our intro music is Black Republican by Nas for Team Jay-Z. Our theme music is Sorry by Comfort Fit on their Forget and Remember album. Please join us next Tuesday from 2 to 3 for another episode of Unapologetically Black on WOVU Cleveland 95.9. Thanks for listening.